I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Amen. Lord, we thank you for um, synergy and everything that's happening here. We just ask for your presence and your guidance uh, here with us today. Amen. So what I plan to do this morning or this afternoon, the title is talked uh, building a team with the fivefold ministry gifts in your church. So what I want to do today is first establish definitions. Um, anytime you talk about these things, we all come in from different backgrounds. From definitions, um, the next step that we want to do is talk about, like, you know, what do we actually mean and, and why is it important? So once we have the definitions, we want to talk about why, and then we want to talk about how. Are we good? So definitions, why, and then how. As I go through the definitions, I'm going to hopefully give you some insights around each of these different um, descriptions. And as you read through the insights, you might say, ooh, I have a question about that. I'm not sure about that. I don't know about that. Hold those, because my goal is to give time for Q&A afterwards. Are we good? Also, um, you know, at our community, we always ask when someone is speaking, whatever you know about this, can I ask you to do me a favor? set it to the side. So like a suitcase or a luggage, anything you've been taught about this topic, set all that knowledge to the side for the whole presentation and then give me 48 hours, all right, and the Holy Spirit 48 hours. And if you decide, you know what, that doesn't make sense, then pick it all back. Because sometimes to actually learn, the first step is to unlearn. And for us to unlearn, we have mental roadmaps that's been there for so long, we actually have to take a conscious effort to take that bank of knowledge and actually set it to the side for a moment. Are we together? All right, so let's do it. So definitions. The first definition I'm going to go through um, in defining terms is uh, apostle. So once we define these terms, we can talk about why um, they're important within a team. So here's what we have. Apostles rediscover and expand upon the fundamental truths of the gospel of the kingdom of God. They extend the holistic nature of that truth in DNA form. The reason why that's important, apo, is to separate Stello is the stand. Apostles often, there's something that the Holy Spirit triggers in them. They don't redefine a biblical truth. They rediscover a truth that has been lost. And then they take the holistic nature of that truth and they put the full gospel DNA around that truth. And then they extend that truth into cities and communities. The reason why they have to put the full DNA of the gospel is because oftentimes that's when heresy starts. Heresy is really not um, a striving away from the truth. It's taking one aspect of a truth and building a whole new thing around that one single thing and you leave the rest of the full gospel out of it. So apost apostles often rediscover that truth put the full gospel around that truth in a DNA form, and they take that into, extend it into cities and communities 
where that truth is either absent, needs amplification, or is altogether lost. That's why apostles have that certain kind of energy about them, because they're carrying and they're stewarding a DNA that they're on, on mission. And they often do this by starting new works of service or expanding already existing works of service. A couple of things you'll notice, um, this is not up there, but I'm just going to give it to you. For mature people with this gift is um, they have humility. At the highest level, they will be humble. Um, they will be have a servant-type spirit. They will operate in love. And they'll often be progenitors, which means often like a spiritual mother or a spiritual father. That's that persona, that, that type of energy that they, that they bring both men and women into a space. An attribute that they have, um, they're strategic and they're dynamic. Let me explain what that means when you talk about this gift, strategic and dynamic. They're able to see the big picture break it into smaller pieces and then make those smaller pieces work together. Which is different from an evangelist, whereas an evangelist, they're able to see big picture and break things up, but for an evangelist, the relationship over here is sufficient. And the relationship over here is sufficient. These two things don't need to come together. Whereas for an apostolic leader, they're thinking about order, strategic alignment, these things have to sync. They have to send code to each other, and that's what makes them so dynamic. I want to talk about something that uh, our friends, um, it's an organization called Giant. They talk about each gift has a weaponized version of it. So each gift could be weaponized. Um, an apostle, when they weaponize their gift, uh, giant teaches that it's like a, uh, a grenade launcher. So <laughs> they're so strategic, they can see the big picture. You're in your staff meeting, that typical apostolic leader, as you're speaking, they're processing 1,000 miles an hour, and they can just take that grenade launcher out and <laughs> blow the idea of why it's not going to work, it's not sufficient, and oftentimes people can be hurt by that. Whereas if you take that same grenade launcher and you can hear the idea, but rather than building down, don't weaponize that gift, they take that gift and they blow down things that may be in the way. You know, and so, anyway, so apostles, prophets. I'm going to try to go a little bit faster here just for the sake of time. Uh, prophets, they stand before God as they prepare to declare and demonstrate God's will incarnationally according to the gospel of the kingdom of God. A prophet's main role is not giving words of knowledge. A prophet's main role is to stand before God and waiting. And as the Holy Spirit moves upon them, then they speak. A prophet that focuses more so on speaking will eventually start speaking messages that doesn't come from God. And the reason where we get that is from the word breakdown. Pro means to be before. And then um, fetus, it means to speak. But fetus has a root word, deri derivative, femi, 
And then semi has another root word, fa, which means to bring into the light. So prophets stand before God, ready to speak, and their root is like shining, bringing people into the light. And so that makeup to declare and demonstrate God's will incarnationally, if you circle that word incarnationally, they understand what God wants, his values. But then they see where we're at. And that dichotomy and that distance, they step into it incarnationally. Not only do they step into that gap, they feel the gap. They sense the gap. They carry it in their bodies. And oftentimes you need schools of the prophets to actually teach them what to do with everything they feel and everything they sense. And so as they incarnationally step into the gap, if we go to Jesus, the prophet, right, he saw the gap, God's will, and where man was, and he stepped into it and filled it and carried it within his body. And they accomplish this um, by dismantling and building up. So once they step into the gap, they're there to dismantle and they're there to build things up. And that's why you feel that, that energy from them. Good? A mature prophet, you'll see, they're full of joy. They have joy. They have warmth. Um, yeah, there's no cloud that covers them, a mature prophet. They're warm. They have joy. And they're nuanced. And they're able to see gray areas. So if you're in your staff meeting and you're part of your team, you could tell the person with the prophetic voice where as you're talking or as your team is leading, they typically, I feel this. I sense we need to do this, Pastor. If we don't go here, if we don't do that, because they're standing in the gap and they're feeling that and they're trying to communicate it. But oftentimes other people cannot see that. They cannot feel that. They don't have that type of intelligence. And so helping that prophetic person maturing to realize, yes, you're the only one who feels this. <laughs> and giving the rest of the team time to, to you know, kind of go through it. So that's the prophetic voice. Um, the attribute for them is they have value-based, and they demonstrate. Um, they show what they feel. They, they show it. They want to demonstrate it. When they weaponize their gift, um, it's kind of like two forms. Um, they can either hawk out. You know how the hawk, I'm getting mad, I'm getting mad, and then oh, and they hawk out. Um, or if they're a thinker and they're prophetic, it's like a sniper. They can discern the very button of push and just take a thing out. All right, let's keep going. Evangelist, bringer of good news. So by proclaiming and being present with people, evangelists spread the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God through an event process, or excuse me, or process that creates access for individuals or groups to enter the kingdom by decision. I want to say something about that, that word good news. You can think of an evangelist in its core as a liberator. A liberator. An evangelist comes with good news. They're like, um, 
the poor doesn't have food. We're going to come out. We're going to go feed them. We're going to reach out. So we think that they care about witnessing. Their deep down core is they want to bring good news to people. So that's why they have to go out. They have to go and recruit because they're like, this thing is good news. So I want to go share with other people. They are restorers. They are healers. Mature when they're mature. And their attribute is they uh, recruit and they, they connect. When they weaponize their gift, <laughs> the same gift that they use to spread good news is the same way they weaponize it to spread bad news. When things aren't working as it should, they will spread that just as fast as they spread the good news. All right, Shepherd. I got two more and then we'll, we'll continue. So Shepherd, um, through protecting and providing, providing means being available for people, Shepherds nurture and care for individuals or groups of people to move them on to greener pastures of the kingdom of God. So nurture and care. If I have a garden, I put fertilizer to nurture that garden. I care for that garden maybe by putting a fence around it so other animals can't come into it. So they, they give you the things that something needs to grow and then they care for it. They protect them. And they provide. And the main role of a prophet, I mean, excuse me, a shepherd, you often hear people say, you know, shepherds are just nice people. They're warm people. They are, but a mature shepherd, they're providing for you and they're caring for you because they want to move you forward. They know if you don't have what you need, you can't move forward. So when you have an apostolic leader with a lot of energy rediscovering a truth in your staff meetings, they're coming with that energy. We have to go here. We have to proclaim this. And as they're talking, a shepherd is thinking about how that truth is going to affect the whole body. And they're speaking from that place. And they can feel, if we go in this direction, they can feel how it's going to affect the whole church. And so when you understand how each other works, the question for the shepherd becomes, help the apostolic leader systematize this. Bring it out in a way where we can care for the whole body. Um, when they're mature, um, I, I use the word buoyant, they can take hits. So in all their caring, when someone says something negative about them, they can take it personal. A mature shepherd, someone can say, say something negative and they just move on. They don't, they don't take it personal. They don't let that stop them from caring. But ooh, they can take things personal. Um, they're selective when they're mature. When things are happening around them, a mature shepherd realizes this is something I have care for and this is something that's not my responsibility. And they're selective and they can let it go. But a shepherd who hasn't reached that level, they're trying to care for too many things and too many people all at one time and they then become taken care of. Um, when they weaponize their gift, again, uh, a friend of ours, he leads a group called Giant, and they have this whole piece about um, when they weaponize their gifts, and this is where this part is coming from. When a shepherd weaponizes their gift, they're like a medic. And so picture this, you're in a war zone, bullets flying everywhere, you're laying down, you're bleeding out, and when a shepherd weaponizes their gift as a medic, they will see you bleeding out, 
and they'll walk right past you. They won't care for you. That's what happens when they weaponize their gift. Every gift has a way that it can be weaponized. All right, teacher. They understand and explain knowledge of the gospel of the kingdom of God to individuals and groups by gathering information, pointing things out. Um, my friend uh, Tim Ketchum, he talks about this piece. This is his quote here, um, pointing things out. Sometimes people think of teachers or they experience them as hole punchers. Like when you're talking, you're giving your ideas and sh you're sharing your thoughts. Teachers can systematically see the whole thing. And as you're talking, they're like an interrogator. Well, what about this? And you're like, I'm not even finished my idea. Just let me get it out, right? They're not hole punchers. <laughs> um, for you teachers, you might feel that. But anyways, uh, they separate, they're organizing, defining, and categorizing information. Here's the deal. So it can be easily accessed, disseminated, systematically, or linearly processed to ensure a hitch-free understanding. So most teachers, as somebody's preaching a sermon, they're just critiquing the whole sermon while the person's preaching it because they can actually see it. They can see when a train of thought doesn't line up, not because they're critical, but they want people to understand. And so oftentimes when you have a prophet and a teacher together in the same staff meeting, the prophet's like, I feel God saying this, and they're all in the clouds. And a teacher is just like, talking about <laughs> and they can have so much tension but where they work together is the teacher realizes you don't have to understand what the prophetic person is saying do you have a relationship and do you trust them take their thoughts take that insight and then help them break it down work together and then the whole body is blessed and then the shepherd comes along and figures out how we take this new prophetic revelation that's now systemized and how we disseminate it to the whole body but what typically happens is the prophetic person, that energy can be shut down and the body of Christ loses the direction they need to go for that rhema moment. Happens all the time. Um, a mature teacher is amicable, which means they can listen to you teach something and miss a spot and overcome the spot that you missed. They, they don't, they're, they're no longer like <laughs> making sure everything's perfect. They're tactful. When they point out the things that you've missed, they're very generous when they point that out. They don't make you feel less than. And at the maturest level, a teacher is a helper. They don't break down your ideas. They actually lift them up. And when they weaponize their gift, they're like an interrogator. You're sharing your idea and you just get question after question after question after question. And most people can feel deflated. And the teacher is like, well, why don't anybody come to me? I, I, I'm smart. I see some people like laughing in the, in the audience. So anyway, so those are, um, so when I say apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, that's what we're talking about. So now that we defined it, I'm going to now jump into these five um, perspectives. They're in your church. So we want to talk about how to harness them now for the gospel of the kingdom. So now I'm going to talk about the why. Why do we want to harness them? What I'm about to share now for me is probably the most important. This topic in the body of Christ is becoming very popular. And what I'm really definitely afraid of, it becomes like the enneagram or another personality test. 
Um, if we don't be careful, that's exactly what we're going to bend us to, and we will lose the power of it. So this, why do we want to incorporate this now that we've broken it down? Um, I pray that the Lord would give us insight in this why. Um, this is something we're going to look at here. Uh, Hirsch, Alan Hirsch talks about this in Ephesians 4, theology. Ephesians 4, chapters 1 through 6, you see unity, if you've ever received it, right? The body of Christ coming together. In Ephesians 4, 7 through 11, you see Apes, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, right? And then Ephesians 12, uh, it's not 8 through 11, it's actually Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. So it, you see maturity. So if you ever see Ephesians. So if I was to ask someone, is 1 through 6 for us today, unity, who says yes? You can, you can just say anybody. If I was to say, is Ephesians 12, number 3 through 16 for us today, maturity in the body of Christ, so we won't be tossed to and fro, who says yes? If I say Ephesians 4, 7 through 11, show the next slide. Uh, there should be one more there with the EST scratched out. Do you see that one? It has the APE and it's scratched out. Hopefully it's there. Okay, if it's a, uh, nope, you can go back. I don't think it's there, but I can explain it. So there's a next slide, and it has the A and the P crossed out. So, if, so how is it theologically in the same passage for you teachers in the house? We say unity is for us. We preach that. We go to maturity. Yes, that's for us. And then what gives us the right when we go to the APES? What gives us the right to X out A and X out P? and only say E-S-T is for today. Any seminary would tell you that's bad, you know, that's eisegesis right there. You're adding stuff that's not there. We add that in. So there's no way you can say one is for today, maturity is for today, and get the two, and only say E-S-T is for today. So theologically, these voices are in the church, and they're for today. And we have to rediscover this truth and the danger of this, of not discovering it, there was a friend of ours who was a pastor, he still is a pastor, but when he was on his church staff team, um, he's an apostolic leader. And so for like 13 years of his ministry life, they kept putting him in spots for shepherds. And he just brought a whole different energy into that space. And it just didn't work out. So when you don't identify people and help them embrace who they really are. Prophets who are feeling the tension and they need to live out in that space, the body of Christ isn't blessed. So theologically, we need a way not to say someone is really apostolic and say we're still going to call them a pastor. No. Or someone is a prophetic. and No, we need to recognize who they are. And when we recognize who they are and they operate in that function in the church, the other prophetic person is say, I'm like that. That's what I am. And then they can train them up. The other apostolic leader in the body of Christ says, oh, I have that energy, and they can raise them up. And so when we don't clearly identify theology, we, we do a disservice. So that's the why. Um, the second why is maturity. I'm not going to read all this for the sake of time, but if you read Ephesians 4, um, 8 through uh, 16, it talks about the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to in unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, 
perfecting man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want to stop there for a second. Jesus Christ is the head of the church theologically. Jesus was an apostle, is an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. He taught us what maturity was because as a child, he was the perfect child. He was a perfect teenager. He was a perfect, he was the perfect in all these categories. And in his ascension, he matured the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, the shepherd, the tetra. He matured it as he who ascended, he also gave gifts to men, Ephesians 4. So theologically, if the head of the church has all these five elements, how do you strip the body of the A and the P? It doesn't work. So theologically, the head has all these components. The body is knitly joined to the head, and these gifts flow. They're still there. Theologically, we need to honor that and respect it and bring it back, and more importantly, train and teach that. Prophetic people are the most abused people in the church, misunderstood, suffering people in the church because there's no one to train them. There's a reason the Old Testament has schools of prophets. All right. And then last on the why scope and sequence. This is the one I'm going to spend a little a little time on. So we have theology is why maturity is why scope and sequence. Um, and then there's a the next one on here. <coughs> it's called scope and sequence okay I'm just going to go ahead and read it if we don't have it but the um, scope and sequence it says the governmental and territorial territorial Jesus movement calls for reimagining the 21st century church based on the founders intent for a societal movement okay the governmental and territorial Jesus movement calls for reimagining the 21st century church based on the founder's intent for societal movement and community. I'm going to unpack all that. Um, the scope, the degree of what the mission is. The game plan to disciple people is a different playbook to disciple nations. If you put a group of people in a room and say disciple people, you're going to give me a playbook. If you say disciple Cincinnati, Columbus, it's a different scope. Sequence, how you sequence how you're going to disciple the ethnos, the nations. That type of scope and sequence is categorically, fundamentally, nearly impossible without the energy of the A and the P and the E. Say again. In the early church movement, maybe early 1980s, this thing called parachurches started rising up. YWAM, crew, all these things. All the people with the AP and E energy, they left and they started parachurch organizations. And we built bigger and bigger sanctuaries with the S's and the T's. All the A's, the apostolic, they went into business because they were bored. They had the energy to do something great. And so, so that's one. And then when you talk about um, societal movement, we preach a different gospel than Jesus preached. I'm going to say that again. We preach a different gospel that Jesus preached. The gospel that Jesus preached was the good news of the kingdom of God. 
That gospel message that Jesus preached came with three things. He offered more than the world could offer. Parable of the treasure in the field. The dude found the thing, sold everything more than, and he bought that thing, right? He had an infectious presence through crowds everywhere he went. Two. Third, he provided answers and solutions. Woman at the well, the dude who was possessed with demons, everywhere he went. He was so contagious, and the gospel of the kingdom that he preached, everybody would run into it. Are we together? So this idea, what kind of team, scope, and sequence do you need to establish a movement in your city? The movement must extend beyond the local church. Because you can't have a movement. We must plant churches. But what happens when we take all the nurses that we have in our city and we actually start a clinic? And then someone comes to the clinic and gets better health care, better rates, better service, and they meet Jesus and we provide answers and solutions with an infectious presence and provide more than the world could offer and they meet Jesus. That is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Because that word gospel, it comes from uh, Roman terms. It's not a Christian term. Rome had a gospel, the gospel of the good news of Rome. Rome had better everything, and that's what they offered to people as long as you didn't fight them. And so to create that kind of energy and that kind of movement in a church that takes it beyond the local church plant and the local church building, the energy it takes, you need the A's, the P's, and the E's. We're all playing the same game together. Now we're building things way outside of the scope. And the funny, the not-so-funny thing about this, Apple already figured this out. Apple's in health. Apple's, Apple has, they're in every area of our lives. And we pay them money for it. Amazon, everyone, they're in every area of our life. And we pay them money for it. And so this is the scope and the sequence that we need all these gifts working together. All right, in five minutes, I'm going to cover the how. And then I'm going to leave like 20 minutes just for questions. I know I'm throwing a lot of information out, but I at least wanted to give the framework of this. Um, you can look, look it up after. Um, so how? As you want to do this in your local church, how do you get started? Um, start with your lead team. I'm going to try to say this with as much nuance as I can. But see, there's a difference besi besides mission, vision, and mandate, and commission. Okay, so a commission within your church, remember apostolic leaders, um, they extend the truth. And so within your church leadership team, is there an actual commission on the house? So there are some churches who they're designed to be um, multi-ethnic is the commission that, that's put on that house, right? That's that mandate that was given to that leader. So anything that happens in that house, remember, that's the truth that they build the whole DNA on. That's the energy. That's where that house is going. So you have to make sure that the lead team understands that, and that sets the direction of the whole church. From there, um, you start with the other leaders on the team. I would recommend just simple APES gifts. 
take some gift assessments, see what kind of team you have, and then through there, begin to make sure everyone's in the right spot. Um, sometimes people don't need to get off the bus. Sometimes they just need to switch seats on the bus. From there, um, once you get everybody in the right spot, you create a family protocol. Um, any apostolic team is going to have order and protocol. Um, how do we do what we do here in this family, in this house? And then I would teach the body on rediscovering the gospel of the kingdom of God. And then I would work on protecting um, the commission or the mandate given to the ministry, you know, wherever they're going to extend something. So if I give you an example, do you guys know Dick Brockton? Okay. Live dead. Dick was commissioned. Specific mandate that's Latin to entrust into your hand. Um, I think we're going to have to like edit Dick Brockton out because we're not supposed to say where he's at. So whoever's listening to this, please edit this out of when I said his name. But anyway, that particular leader where he's at, he has a, a way that he does it. He has a DNA. He's extending that truth. And if you get on his team, the way and the DNA is live dead. That is the protocol. There's no and ifs or buts around it. So that has to be established. And then you protect that DNA. And then how do you establish it in your church? On a church level, um, you introduce, you reintroduce this concept to the church. Otherwise, your church may think um, you're going in a different direction where really you're rediscovering the truth um, that's already there. So you communicate this truth to your church. You begin to teach it and you give them time to adapt to it. You give leaders time, the body time to adapt to it. And then you begin to invite the body for perhaps self-discovery um, and understanding. So that is what I want to talk about. So I'm going to leave the rest of the time just for some questions. I think we have like 25 minutes or so uh, for questions. So what I talked about was the what, the why, and the how. So points of clarification, thoughts, questions. Um, this is the next 20 minutes. We have space for that. 23, actually. I would work within the authority structure of your church. So I would probably practice Matthew 18, one-to-one. When you did this, I felt this. List the behavior. Don't accuse them, but list the behavior. So when you did this and list the exact behavior, I experienced this and it hurt me. Give them an opportunity to, to fill in that space and say, I'm sorry. If they don't say they're sorry, or they don't say it's okay, say each time you do this, I will come to you one-to-one -one and let you know the specific behavior pattern you keep repeating. After the second time you do this, I'm gonna bring another leader and authority with me to tell you about this behavior pattern that you will not stop. And you just follow Matthew 18, but you do it one-to-one, -one, make sure you list the behavior pattern, describe what they did, and then describe how it made you feel. Do not go in a back and forth battle about did they do it or do not. Don't get caught. What is important is that you care front, not confront. All right, another question.
Yeah, there is an assessment. There are several assessments if you Google online. I recommend 5Q uh, assessment um, is a good one. When you do the assessment, the goal is maturity. I'm going to say that again. The goal is so when someone takes the assessment, we have someone who's like a teacher. They're like 45 teacher. And they're like, well, you know, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. And their um, shepherding was like a three. So, yes, we want to rejoice in your teaching gift, but maturing into the full stature of Christ, we want to get you around teachers so that teaching gift could elevate. So the part of taking the assessment is to know where you're at and where you need to mature as a church, because each one of us carries the DNA of Christ in us, and we just need the body of Christ to help us mature. So if I'm a shepherd and when I'm around more apostles, that apostolic energy, I'm going to grow in that. Okay. Another question or thought? Yo, there we go. There we go. And so we can go on a website. Uh, the Ohio Ministry Network has an APES assessment. So we would recommend, let's use theirs, go on their website and um, use it. Thank you. separate things and I think is yeah so there's commission there's mandate there's mission and there's vision the mission and the vision of local churches have often quenched apostolic and prophetic energy because large by and large all churches we have the same mission you can put whatever word you want it's the same mission as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. Make disciples of all nations. We have the same vision, Jesus and his kingdom. But based on that leader, so one of my, my, uh, my Pastor Chris Beard, an amazing leader in Cincinnati, God spoke to him. He had a moment where he saw racial reconciling. He remembers that day like it was yesterday. That's his commission. From there, a mandate arises from that. Help my church become one. That's personal to him. But that's what gives him the authority to birth that new truth that was rediscovered and birth it out into the city. So we have to, as a church, steward his commission, his mandate, and honor that. That's our foundation. And we have to realize, as a church, we have a mission and a vision. And so when you give space for that, when there is another apostolic leader in the house and that apostolic leader rises up with a new vision, mission and mandate, we don't say we don't do that here. That apostolic leader builds upon the vision of racial reconciliation. I'm using an example. Builds upon that thing. It's a son or a daughter and they're sent out and they're still connected. This is how we have so many splants and splits because the apostolic energy and the prophetic energy doesn't have a spiritual covering to rise up because it thinks it's competing against the mission vision of the house and it's not. God builds upon foundations and we must always honor the house and the commission. But it's different if somebody takes over a church 
and maybe they didn't have a road to Damascus moment, right? They're like, yeah, I got this new church. They had a vision. Hey, I'm in. Let's go. And that church is going to be successful. But there's not that little, like, commission. There's not that mandate. There's not that energy. Ohio Ministry Network, Tanzania, we got a commission. We have a mandate, right? Our church growth program. We always had a mission and a vision for Ohio Ministry Network. But now we've been commissioned. Now we've been mandated. And we're following our leader, Pastor John. So those are the difference between commission, mandate, mission, and vision. And when you introduce apostolic and prophetic, you have to introduce commission and mandate back into vision and mission. So now everything has room. And that's where the kaboom happens. The movement happens because you're building upon foundations rather than sending without that official energy to cover. Another question or thought? Can you maybe give me some guardrails? Sure. So when I, okay. Yeah. So when I met Pastor Chris, I had no idea about racial reconciliation. The only gospel that I knew of was come to Jesus. But as I met him and was under that covering, that mantle, that commission that he had, that truth, remember they have a truth. It was there, and I saw it, and it was clear as day. I, in the kingdom, I am like forever linked to that. I can't unlearn that. And anything I do as it relates to that, it comes from what I receive from him. And so now that's an extension, and that's a growth, and I'm building upon it. I want to share something. There was a samurai warrior. Um, not a warrior, but he made samurai swords. He's been doing it for 25 to 30 years. And they were doing a documentary and they were interviewing him. And he had like three tutors that's been learning for him from him for several years. And he's sitting there and they said, what is your greatest desire? He says, my greatest desire is all the knowledge that it took me in these 30 years or so to learn how to make these swords. I want to give those three men all that knowledge. So it won't take them 30 years. It would take them, I'll cut half of that. And he says something that blew me away. I want them to make better swords than me. We're custodians. We're custodians of the knowledge and the truths of the kingdom of God. And each person passes it on. And that's why we need to make room for when that new energy comes in, the, the younger person must honor the past and realize you're building upon something. Be cautious, be careful.
Can we, can we talk about that for a second? When you're building apostolic teams, you not only need to know what the commission and the mandate of your leader is, once you know that commission and your mandate of your leader, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole unless you want to have a fight. Serious. They will fight you. Leaders have to do that. They're before God for that commission. But guess what? Your team has a mandate too. So that mandate you have, that's something that's in you your team has to take the test to figure out what's the root of this whole caring and loving, all that Jesus stuff, right? What, what's the root of it? Yeah, what's the root of it? Because you, um, it can become untenable if that is not received. And the Lord may have, may, I don't know your team, may have sent you there because that's what they need. So the first step is to humbly go to the, uh, your authority and say, this is what I'm sensing. I may be wrong. I would like to share this with you. Will you please pray about it? And is it time? Do you see this? Do you want to do something about this? Because you may feel it and they got other things in the oven. They can't attend to that right now. And so you know, okay, I need to park that. And then they'll release you, but you can have peace. So I would say connect with your leader of authority and humbly submit what you see and and have a conversation with them and be prepared that you may not be able to release that just yet. Any other thoughts? We still got 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so it, it it makes sense. It is the big thing, and it is biblical, and it's in Ephesians chapter four. <laughs> Ephesians, what you're saying, 
No, 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 no. I, I hear <laughs> what he's saying is so prophetic because in Ephesians, we see it talks about one new humanity. It's a roadmap, one new humanity. You got to get that. Then you go to four. Now that you have a multi-ethnic, you can reach, reach all ethnos, scope and sequence. So I need you to fix this race issue, fix all the division, social class, fix that. Ephesians 2, become one new humanity. Now you're ready for Ephesians 4. Apest. So now you have all these gifts from all these ethnicities, but it doesn't stop there. Now you go to Ephesians, you get your family right. Husbands, wives, you get the family right. Then you go to Ephesians, finally, brethren, stand. Now you're ready for warfare. You can't go and have a governmental soap and sequence reach the city if you're divided around racial, economic, social lines, if you don't have the full intelligence, a pest, if your family house is out of order, and then you're trying to war, Ephesians 6. And when he says finally, that word finally in the Greek, it's like the real reason I wrote you this letter is this, to talk about fighting. And so what you're saying is what God is doing. Literally, you're seeing the map. And God is like, I want you guys to have a movement in cities. But Ephesians is the whole sequence. So, yes. Any other thoughts? Can I? <laughs> do your thing. Do your thing. Coach us up. Coach us up. Go ahead. Keep going. So, I, th I, I are you saying uh, what? What question? I hear you. What thought or question are you proposing? But I hear you. For me, I would say where each person starts within your own um, house or your organization or your church. So wherever your leader at and your spiritual community is, kind of like uh, racehorses, they have blinders on. They're not looking at what the other folks are doing. So I would say in your house, run your race with your leader. And as the, as the Holy Spirit puts it upon the heart of your leader for any of those hallmarks in Ephesians, if you, if you have to do the race piece, we know we have a custodian of that in our in our midst at People's Church. We go there. You know, any area when you're ready, remember shepherding, moving the body when they can handle it, sequencing. And so my thought for you is that when your house is ready and when your body is ready, then you get ready. How do you 
leverage those resources. Yeah. So my thought would be, um, whatever team you put together, I would consider putting a, a team with those get together, sitting with your elders or your board, and just having your leader share. We call it the meta idea. This is like reduce. What do you want us to accomplish? Give us a meta idea. And then give that team some space and some time to use all those gift mix to create it. The tendency that I would recommend is the shepherd will say, I don't want to be in that room. The teacher will be like, ah, I, d I don't want to be there. Because as the apostles and prophets are just praying and dreaming, the teachers are seeing all the sequences and it's just driving them crazy. But if you plan something without teachers and shepherds, it will have a hitch. You need them in the room. They can see every, so that teacher in that space, how do you leverage it? The teachers and the uh, shepherds, my recommendation, don't take a step back, but be amicable as the other energies are kind of like just doing their way up their stuff and then build upon it. So I would say hear from your leader, then put a team around to leverage that idea and know that you're going to have to change it, build it as you go. We got a question. We got four minutes and then we're out. Yeah. we can close with that <laughs> I think she was saying the Lord she was hearing unity is what he was she was hearing one of the answers is unity everyone coming together and my thought was prayer for unity I think we can close with that uh, I'll be available for a few minutes if anybody has any questions but thanks guys Lord we are grateful for the Ohio Ministry Network and uh, the vision that you have put on our leaders for this season. God, let us be united as we seek to live that, that mandate, the vision, the mission, as we seek to le lead and live this out in all our respective spaces. Father, where we have not been united as a congregation or as a church, we pray that you would shine your light in those areas that we may see where we are divided. And we may work to fill that gap and to fill that space. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.